So I'm super excited just to be in the house of the Lord today. And we have been planning and anticipating this missions summit, this impact summit for a long time. In fact, some of you may or may not know that um, COVID kind of uh, uh, 2020, we were planning on trying to do this in 2020 and then it didn't work out in 2021 and didn't work out in 2022. And so we've actually been planning to do this summit for a long, long time. And one of the things I get really excited about, I always get excited whenever we have mission partners that come and take part in our services, but having all of them here at one time is, uh, is just super exciting for me. So uh, this morning, Derek Duvall, uh, who is uh, currently living in Salt Lake City, Utah, is going to be preaching the word for us today. Uh, I've already had a chance to hear it. It's a great word from the Lord. I know it's going to minister to your heart. Uh, Derek and his wife, Kristen, they're actually from Tennessee. Uh, he was student pastor at First Baptist Powell for 10 years before they moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, also, as you saw the video, um, you know, Derek's, Derek's got a pretty unique skill set um, yep. with this scooter thing. And yeah. so I, I think what we, right. what we thought we might would do is just give him an opportunity before Good. he preaches the word uh, to give us a little bit of a demonstration. So, uh, Derek, wh yeah. what I'd like for you to do, th sure. that backflip that, yeah, that you started, no problem. what I want you to do is I want you to do it off the oh. steps. Yeah, no, no, I usually make people pay for this. Yeah. But um, if, did, did they pay to get in here today? Uh, they will at the end of the service. I, actually, I'm not going to do anything without, without oh, okay. paying. Okay, we so. better not let you do that <laughs> this morning. No. Thank you, my brother, for being yeah. here. We appreciate you very Thank much. You. And Thank we you. just. Look forward to the word that you have to share. Praise God. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, we love this church. We love your pastors. This is a great place and has a special place uh, in our hearts. And so we are so thankful uh, for this church, Stephen Street, and, uh, and you guys. Some of you guys have been out before and uh, been a part of the work. And uh, we've got another trip this summer. Love for you to be a part of that in Salt Lake City uh, and uh, to, to join us. Uh, but this morning, as we... Uh, Begin, I guess, as a church and continues, but there's been a couple, a few things. The Impact Summit, I want us to uh, kick off this by thinking about uh, missions. I want us to think about uh, missions like this. That missions is purposeful movement. It's purposeful movement. It's the act of being sent from one place to another for the purpose of, of spreading the gospel and making disciples. That's what missions is. And the primary way in which God has designed this to happen is through the local church. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the church. But not Stephen Street, not Awakened City Church where I'm a pastor. But I want to talk about is the church, the universal church. And I want to do that by uh, looking at Acts chapter 1 together this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, I hope you do, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 1. Uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, and if while you're maybe going there, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word church. Maybe for you it's Stephen Street. Maybe for you it's not really a thought, it's more of a, an emotion, emotional response as you think about church. But either way, I, I'm willing to bet uh, that it looks very different than the, the first century Christians thought and felt uh, about church in their uh, initial gathering. When they thought of the church, 
They didn't think of buildings or greeters or pews or chairs. Uh, they didn't think of kids' ministry or coffee bars. None of those things were on um, their radar. And it wasn't because, uh, just quote, those weren't uh, amenities that were available. Uh, it's because things didn't start off the way that they are uh, today. The word translated church, and you guys probably know this, but the word translated church in our English Bibles is the Greek word ekklesia. And that word means a, a called out assembly or a, a congregation. That's what that word means. And so every time you see that word uh, church in your Bible, it's that Greek word ekklesia. And, and I want us to think of it uh, as this gathering of people all centered around one belief, all centered around uh, one uh, mission, and this, this movement of people all motivated by one central belief that Jesus rose from the dead and that he took on our sins and all those who trust in him can have eternal life. That's the movement, that's the desire, that's the central message of the church as they gathered. As they thought of gathering, they didn't think, let's all get together, but we're a movement of people all going to share this good news with those around us. But over time... It went from this, unfortunately, this, this movement of people around a central belief to this gathering of people around a central location. Uh, and the church, the ecclesia, had become a place that you go to receive religious services uh, and, and benefits, and it ceased to be a, not it had ceased to be, it had be, begun to be in some places a, a movement of people on a mission. And actually, the emphasis on a, a meeting location was a, a throwback to the Old Testament uh, and this idea of a, a temple. And so based, uh, because originally there was a temple, as you know, and that's where God dwelt, uh, and that's where the people of God gathered. But Jesus brought on a, a new era. God no longer dwells in a temple, but he now dwells in his people. And we're going to see that in just a second as we jump into Acts uh, today, and then we're going to see the significance that the Holy Spirit now dwells in us and not in a location. And so if you know much about church history, uh, then you know that the church had a, a really dark period uh, in which the, the, to be the leader of the church was also to be the leader uh, politically as well. Uh, in order to keep that power, then they abused the Bible to make this gathering, th this movement, depended upon them. And the church began to become a place and not a movement. And, that, and part of that change was then aided uh, in one way or another by the terminology that was used to describe the ecclesia. Uh, that, that couldn't have been ecclesia, this, this gathering of people could not have been more clear. Then began, we began to use a German word in around 300 AD, and that German word we'll put up on the screens, uh, is Kirche. doesn't sound like church, but kind of looks like Kirch, right? And where we get the word church. And so uh, this German word means a gathering place for religious purposes. And so the ecclesia was this movement of people around a central belief, and it had turned into this gathering of people around a central location. It was no longer about a movement of God's people, uh, but a, a gathering of them. 
And then something incredible happened in the 16th century. God began to raise up this generation of reformers. And one of them was a man by the name of William Tyndale. Uh, And he had some really crazy ideas and beliefs like the church was supposed to be a movement of people and not just a location where they met. And he believed that if the people were going to be the movement that Jesus spoke of, then they needed to be able to read Jesus' words and have the Bible in their own language. And you see, part of the way in which the leaders at that time were keeping uh, a hold of the power was they, they kept the people depend upon them uh, to tell them what the Bible said because they couldn't read it in their own language. And so Tyndale believed that everyone uh, should have God's Word in their language so that they could read and understand it. They ended up costing him his, his life for believing this. But it wasn't before uh, he died. He had the Bible translated into English. He took the Greek and the Hebrew. He translated it into English. And while he was on trial for doing this, he said to the religious leaders of the day, if God spares my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than thou dost, thou, than thou dost. Which you can imagine went over really well, right? And so Tyndale translated the Bible into English, and every time we see that word ecclesia, he translated into congregation instead of church. He would use the word congregation so that it was clear it wasn't a a building. The church is not a building. It's not a a group of buildings uh, with this religious structure, but that Jesus intended to establish this movement of people. And that's what Jesus wanted to launch, a, a congregation of called out ones. In the book of Matthew, Matthew records uh, this interaction that he had with the other disciples. Jesus is speaking to them and he asks them in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? In verse 16, Peter replied, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, on this statement you've just made, I will build my church. There's that word ecclesia again. I will not build, Jesus says, I will not build my my meeting location. Somebody says, he didn't say, I will not build a, a church building but on, this, on the belief of this statement, Peter, uh, a whole movement of people, of called out ones, will be born who believe this. A group of people will, will gather around this central mission. And the gates of the end of that passage and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus says no matter what comes, no, no matter how corrupt some and leadership become, no matter how power-hungry they might be, no matter where they meet, no matter who dies or how many die for the faith, no matter what comes, this movement of people who have been called out and called together for one purpose will never stop. And then not too long after he makes this statement, Jesus then would be crucified, he would die, he would raise three days later, and for the next 40 days he would spend it with his uh, disciples and send them out as a catalyst to this movement. So the question that I want us to ask ourselves this morning 
is are we just doing ministry, running an institution, or are we part of a movement of God? Are we a part of a movement of God? For you, is this church just a place that you attend, a place where you uh, receive religious services and which are provided for you, or is it a, a movement that you're personally a part of? That's the question that we need to seriously consider this morning. And so with that very long introduction, let's then jump into our text this morning. And we'll see where all of this started. Acts chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 4. And we read, And while while staying with them, he, speaking of Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so the gospel accounts, they end with the great commission, the Acts, Uh, The book of Acts begins uh, with Jesus sending out his disciples and commissioning them to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But Jesus also, he sends them out, but then he says, but wait, don't go quite yet. And what does he tell them to wait on? He tells them to, to wait on the Holy Spirit to come, right? To show up. And so the disciples are waiting for this promise of the Holy Spirit to be fulfilled. Then verse 6, so when they... So when they had come together, they said to him, Lord, will, will you at this time, when the Holy Spirit comes, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And so the, the imminent coming of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised to them uh, has the disciples wondering if Jesus is about ready to establish his kingdom on earth. That's what they're asking. They're, they're not thinking here, church. They're, they're not thinking of, of getting everyone gathered together They're thinking Jesus has come to establish his kingdom. That's what they're asking. And he has, but not in the way that they expected. And then verse 7, Jesus says, It is not not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But here's what you do need to know. Verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I would argue that this uh, is what the entire book of Acts is about. If you were to give a a, a mission statement for the book of Acts, verse 8 is what it would be. And so with the remainder of our time this morning, what I want to do is I want to focus on verse 8 that we just read. Because I believe within this verse, we as God's people find the means, the mission, and the map for our lives. So first, let's look at the means. Look at verse 8 again. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit has come upon them, they will receive what? Power, right? That, that's the means to accomplish what God has called them to. And, and the power there is not some supernatural power strength that God has promised to those who are filled with the Spirit, but it's an effectiveness in the proclamation of the gospel. It's, it's, it's a boldness that empowers them to live as witnesses, as his witnesses, to those around them. And all you have to do to see this is to just give a cursory glance to the New Testament before the Holy Spirit empowers his people and these disciples and after. Uh, And as you know, the night before Jesus is crucified, Peter denies knowing Jesus out of fear three times. He denies knowing Jesus, then 
Jesus dies, he's crucified, he raises three days later. The disciples don't know yet that he's risen from the dead. And we find them hiding in an upper room for fear of what might happen to them. We, we read in John chapter 20, verse 19. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And then just a few verses down, we read in verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. They're still hiding. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And so Jesus has appeared to them. He's shown himself risen from the dead. Probably the disciples are still trying to wrap their minds around everything that's going on here, uh, but they're still hiding out of fear. So then what changes? What changes? They, they've seen the risen Christ, but something changes. And what changes is the Holy Spirit comes and they receive power. And he gives them boldness to proclaim the truth even at the risk of their lives. So this same Peter who had just 50 days earlier, when we look at Pentecost, who had just 50 days earlier uh, denied knowing Jesus, is now standing in front of a large crowd who is hostile, and he, with boldness and power, is proclaiming the gospel message and calling them to repentance. And we see that 3,000 people came to trust in Christ that day. What changed? The coming of the Holy Spirit that would empower them as witnesses and to give them power to their message. That's what changed. Paul says something similar to this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, let's keep going. Let's look at verse 8 again in Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's the mission. The mission is that you and I are called to be a witness, that you and I are called to go and to tell. That's the mission. We're to tell of what we've seen, of what we've heard, what we've experienced. And a key element of being a witness is you have to actually talk. If you're going to be a witness, you have to actually talk. You have to share. You have to use your words. And that was and is God's only plan for accomplishing his plan. Was that we use our words. That we share the hope that we found in Christ. That they, uh, that, that they went out and that we would go out in his power as witnesses proclaiming the gospel, the good news that Jesus brought. In fact, in my studying of this text, I had this pointed out to me. Anytime you see someone being filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts, or you see someone being filled with the Spirit in, in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, every time you, you see that, it's followed by them then proclaiming the Word of God to others. When, when their hearts are filled with the Spirit of God, it then overflows out of their lips. When their hearts are filled with the Spirit of God, it, then they can't help, but it comes out of their lips. A couple examples. In Luke chapter 1, verse 15, it says, John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit. And after he's filled with the Spirit, we read that he proclaims the coming of the Lord. 
In Luke chapter 1, verse 41, we're told that Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit, and she proclaims the blessing over Mary. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the Holy Spirit fills the apostles at Pentecost, and they begin to proclaim the goodness of God in multiple languages. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Peter's filled with the Spirit, and he preaches to the rulers uh, that Jesus is their only hope for salvation. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the disciples are filled with the Spirit, we're told, and they speak the word of God boldly in the face of persecution. And then one more, Acts chapter 9, verse 20, Paul, we're told, is filled with the Spirit, and he immediately begins to preach in the synagogues. And if the Spirit of God lives in you and I, if he fills us, then it will come out in our words. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus says, and he's speaking to the negative here, but this applies to the positive as well. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So let me ask, what comes out in your conversations? Because what comes out of our mouth is what comes from the heart, positive or negative there. Are the words and the truth of Jesus on our lips? Do, do you long to tell others about Jesus? To, to share with them the hope that we have found in him? Or do you make excuses for why you can't or you don't? Well, I, I'm just not like others who can boldly share their faith. That's not me. I'm not like those people. If you are his disciple, you have the same spirit that Peter had. If you are his disciple, you have the same spirit that Paul had, that William Tyndale had, that all of God's people have. We all have the same spirit that then gives us that boldness, right? If we are truly his disciples. We have that same power. You and I have also the same call. And we are called to be his witnesses. That is his plan. Or maybe for you the excuse is, well, I, I witness with my life. I want others to see my life that they might ask me, man, what is the hope that you have in Jesus, right? Our hope is that if we just live a good life, that then people will want to know more about Jesus. But here's the problem with that excuse. No one has ever been saved just because you or someone else lived a good, moral, upright life. No one. The gospel message is that Jesus came to do what you and I couldn't do. That's the gospel message. So how are we going to be a witness of the gospel by what we do? No one is ever going to look at your life and say, wow, look at how they don't cuss. Look at how they don't get drunk. I need Jesus in my life too. I've sinned against him and he is my only hope. That's not how it happens. At best, at best they see your life without your words. And they say, wow, I should probably clean up my life too. And that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. I need to clean up my life. You may, you may have heard this story before about a boss who was a believer and he had been praying for his employees, co-workers. He wanted them to come to know Jesus and so he'd been praying for them and just trying to live an upright life in front of them, trying to extend to them grace 
kindness, gentleness, patience, love. So this went on for a long period of time, and one day one of his employees came and sat down in the office with him. He said, hey, uh, this past weekend I need you to know I went to church, and I heard about Jesus and the hope that we have in him, and I felt convicted. I need to share with you today. And he said, oh, man, the boss said, oh, praise God. He said, I've been praying for years that you would come to know Jesus. And I've been trying to live in front of you a, a life that honors him. And the employee said, well, you're a Christian? He said, you're, you're, the, you're the very reason I didn't want Jesus. Because I thought if I can live a good, moral, upright life like you without Jesus, I don't need him either. The very life he was hoping for others to see through his actions without using his words had then taken this man to go, I don't need Jesus if he doesn't. He cleaned up his life without him. I guess I don't need him either. We should live a good, moral, upright life in front of others, but it can't stop there. We must use our words to share with them the hope that we have found in Jesus alone. We've got to use our words. Or maybe for you the excuse is, well, I don't have the, the space in my calendar to really to do what I, you're telling me I need to do. Or the Bible, I'm just a messenger. Hopefully this is God's word, not me. What God is calling me to do, I don't have that time. Let me encourage you, you probably don't have to change your calendar. Maybe you've thought, well, if I'm honest, uh, I, I've got one kid, uh, and i got a bunch of kids, and they're all different sports, and I'm literally like a taxi driver. I just drop one kid off, go to the next kid, next kid, next kid. I don't have time to, to really make disciples. My kid's sports schedule keeps me busy. we got games six out of seven days a week. Maybe that's the problem. But regardless... Either way, I can tell you that there's usually, when you go to those sporting events, there's usually people there who don't know Jesus. That's been my experience. And those people are looking for real hope in their lives, and we can be intentional in those moments. Or maybe for you, you're thinking, well, well I'm putting 50 plus hours a week in at work. So I don't have a lot of extra time. Be intentional with those people you work with. Take advantage of, you're eating lunch and so are they. Grab lunch with them. Be intentional in the space you're already at. Or maybe you're like, look, honestly, I, I rarely get out of the neighborhood. I bet you have some neighbors who don't know Jesus. No, no, like literally, I, I don't even get out of my house. Like I'm a new mom. I got kids. I barely get out. You have disciples under your roof, your children, your spouse. Be intentional there. Be a witness with your words and your actions. The same mission that has been given to the first century disciples has been given to us. Us individually, we, we have a call to be witnesses, but also us corporately as a universal church. We have this mission, this calling. And then lastly, here's the map. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 again. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so the church is going to start in Jerusalem. And then God is going to, to do something, and the Spirit of God is going to move in a way that takes the witnesses uh, and the gospel outside of Jerusalem and into Judea through the way of persecution. And it's going to continue its way out to Samaria, which, by the way, was full of people who those who lived in Jerusalem and Judea, they didn't like. The gospel is going to go out to a people they don't even like. And in their opinion, they didn't have the right, maybe you could say genetic makeup. 
in their opinion, that they didn't have the right uh, religious views or political opinions, and so they didn't want to go out and share with others. Thankfully, we don't have those problems today, right? And then the message then goes to the ends of the earth, and that's us. We are the ends of the earth. But Jesus said, it will go to the ends of the earth. That's us today. And the gospel gets to Cookville, Tennessee, because the gospel went out and it spread and it spread and it spread till it came to America. And then to Cookville, Tennessee, on the backs of disciples who discipled others, who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples. And we're here today because of that. Because people took the word of God, they were serious about it, they realized they're a movement of people, and they shared this good news with others, and they made disciples who made disciples, and we're here today. And so let me end like this. In the 63,000 miles that the gospel has traveled from Jerusalem to Cookville, in the 2,000 years since these words were first uttered, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We still have the same means. We still have the same mission. And we still have the same map. And the power that was given to the original disciples is the same power and means by which God works through us, the Holy Spirit. And the same command that he gave to his witnesses is the same mission that's given to us today. We have the same mission. And the same call to go and make disciples to all people is the same for us today. We are called to be faithful wherever God puts us. And whether God keeps us here or he sends us out, we are called to be faithful, to make disciples, and to share with others the hope that we have in Jesus alone. But here's the danger for us this morning, church. If we're not careful, we will forget that we are called to be a movement and not a monument. We will forget the mission and become more focused on the place we meet than the reason we meet. And you'll turn this church into a place that's more focused on keeping yourself comfortable and happy than in sacrificially giving of yourselves so that others might prosper, that they might prosper eternally. And we don't ever want that to happen. We don't ever want to lose sight of what we're supposed to be about. We don't ever want to take our foot off the gas. We want to keep going. As I've gotten older, well, honestly, my whole life I've been pretty risk averse. Um, talking to Pastor Scott, and we were talking about Utah, and he wants to do this backflip off this thing and string, and it just sounds stupid to me. But, uh, for me, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is the scary enough right here, just uh, my toes off the edge of the steps. Uh, I've always been pretty risk-averse, but, uh, and as I've gotten older, I've learned that I need to be even more risk-averse because I, uh, or I need to be more cautious because I don't heal as quick as I used to. I don't recover from sleep as quickly, or lack of sleep, rather, as quickly as I used to. And if we're being honest, I can hurt myself just sleeping at night. I can wake up with, like, back pain, right? Like, I don't even know what I did. And then my kids can, like, do backflips off the trampoline. I can do backflips off a scooter, by the way. Um, but uh, they can do backflips and everything, and they're fine. I can't even attempt to without pulling a muscle or something. I don't know. But anyways, I don't know if it's just wisdom as I've gotten older that I need to be more cautious 
But in one area of my life, and I told my church this recently, one area of my life that I am sick and tired of not taking risks, and that is in putting myself out in front of others to share the gospel, to share the good news. I'm sick and tired of caring what other people think or might think about me, so I keep my mouth closed. I want to take risks because it's worth the risk. Even if I get hurt, it's worth the risk over and over and over. Every time. Right? And so you and I have got to be willing to take risks here. We've got to be willing. It's scary. I get it. It's scary. It is. But we've got to be willing to take risks. And if not, what will happen is we will end up becoming a group of people who are more concerned about meeting together, focused on just gaining knowledge, on protecting our holy little huddle, staying away from the big bad people out there, and holding on to our wallets and our comforts as the world collapses. Hunkered down, just waiting for Jesus to come back or to take us home. And we'll do that at the cost of making it all about our home and our comfort and this church, this church location. And this cannot happen. This cannot happen or you will fall into being more concerned about a central location than a central message. And you will cease to be a movement of God's people and instead become a monument in which to gather them around. And I don't want that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for the church that I pastor. I don't want that. And Jesus doesn't want it either. And so where are you at this morning? Where are you at this morning? Is this church just a place that you attend? Or a movement of God that you're a part of? Going in this power of his spirit as witnesses to the gospel news to, to those who are near and far from us and those who are near and far from God. And maybe you're in here this morning and you need to repent. You've lost track of the reason you exist. And it's clear when you look at how you spend your time, when you look at how you spend your money, it's clear that your hope isn't in the kingdom to come your hope is in your little kingdom that you're building here. That's where truly your hope is found, if we're being honest, for some of us in here. And you're quickly learning that when you place your hope in the things of this world, it never satisfies. Your kingdom is never big enough. You always want more and more and more. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've lost track of the purpose of your life, the reason you exist, and you just need to repent before God today. Maybe you're in here today and you've lost focus of the mission. You've forgotten it's not about getting people in the building. It's about sending them out of it. The goal isn't to build a church, it's to be the church. I had a conversation a few years ago with a lady. I was sharing last night with some people. I had a conversation with a lady who said to me, grieve my heart. She said, man, uh, my neighbor... I've been asking them to come to church for quite a while now, and I think they're going to come this Sunday. I'm so thankful because I want them to hear about Jesus. And my heart grieved, and I probably should have called her out in that moment. But I thought, no, you don't need to get her to church to hear about Jesus. You're her neighbor. You tell her about Jesus. 
Bring to church, that's great. But you tell her about Jesus. She has a relationship with you. If you tell her what God has done in your life, it's way more impactful than if some random guy she doesn't know stands up here and tells her about Jesus. That's your calling, to tell others about Jesus. And we come together as a church, we celebrate what God has done, and this is a place for all people. But we have the opportunity and responsible, responsibility to first share with those that we love and we care about this good news. And so where are you at this morning? Maybe you walked in here today, and this is the first time you've stepped foot in a church in a long time. Maybe you got invited by someone and you said, fine, I'll, I'll go. And you're in here this morning, and you're like, listen, I came just because someone invited me, but message was nice and all, but I'm really not sure what that has to do with my life. If anything, I came here looking for hope this morning. My marriage is falling apart. I'm knee-deep in debt. I'm fighting addiction. And I was hoping that if I came here today, I could get help. I was hoping for, for hope. And it seems that you're more concerned, or at least the guy up front is more concerned uh, about just getting together to spread this message than he is sharing this hope that I was looking for. Now, let me tell you why we as a church, corporately, universally, are so convinced that we must take Acts 1-8 serious. So if you came in here today and you don't know Jesus, the reason we rally around and we're reminded is because we recognize we have a gospel message. We have good news. That we're not better, we're not smarter, but we have seen the hope that is found in Christ alone. And we believe that that separation that we all feel in our hearts that we try to find all these things to fill us up, to, to make us close to God, we have found that Jesus said, it's not about what you do, it's about what I've already done and trusting in that. That somehow what Jesus did on the cross and taking my sin and then raising three days later, that somehow that counted for me. That somehow my sins were forgiven. And I've been, for, I've been not only forgiven, but I then have been given his righteousness that I can stand before holy God. That's the good news. We rally together to be reminded we have a gospel message. We have good news. And so we don't go out because we just want to make, we just want to gather more people in here. We go out and we share because we have hopeful news that we want others to know as well. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Scott to come back up here, Pastor Andy, as we close out. But I want to give us a chance to respond. And maybe for you this morning, God's calling you to repent. Maybe he's calling you just a time of confession. Because you recognize you've gotten, your life has gotten off track. You know internally, intellectually what the truth is. But the way you've been living, your life proclaims that your hope isn't in Jesus. It's in a higher paying job. It's in a greater title. It's in a nicer home and better cars. So the world looks around and says, those are the people who go to Stephen Street. I know where their hope is. It's in their kids' sports. Where you have an opportunity to live for him and go, look, I know where their hope is. It's in Jesus. And no matter what happens, good or bad, they point to him because that's truly where their hope and joy is found. Or maybe in here this morning, you don't know him. You came in here looking for hope, and I'm telling you, there is hope. 
And there are pastors, there are people here who would love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you. Who can share with you that hope that's found in Christ alone. That it's not about you earning your way to God. It's about a God who came to rescue his people from sin and damnation that we might be forgiven. That we might receive his righteousness, his perfection. That's offered to every person in this room this morning. But we all need to respond all in different ways. My prayer is that the Spirit would just lead us in how He wants us to respond this morning.